Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, what's up, Liquid Church? How y'all doing today? My name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome all of our campuses that are watching throughout the state of New Jersey for part three of this phenomenal series called Words to the Wise. And today we'll be looking at wise relationships, but first, quick show of hands, how many of you are in a relationship, as in you know someone on planet Earth? Any of you? Okay, I see a couple of you. That's amazing. How many of you are married to someone on planet Earth? Any of you? You're married to someone in a, and you're in a relate? Awesome. How many of you are single? Just curious. Any single folks? Okay, we got a quite a diverse crowd. Appreciate that. How many of you are single and you wish you were married? Any of you? Awesome. Thank you so much for your honesty. How many of you are married but you wish you were single? Ah, careful. Don't answer that one. You may have a very awkward ride home. But listen, relationships, we're all in them, whether it's husbands and wives, um, boyfriends, girlfriends, brothers, sisters, parents, children. We are all in relationships, workers, co-workers, that whole thing. And so we all need guidance, wise guidance, in how do we use our words in the midst of these relationships. And that's really what we're going to be looking at today, is how do we use our words wisely in relationships. Now for me, my context is marriage. Since July of 2009, I've been married to my best friend, Jackie, and uh, it has been phenomenal. We have traveled the world together, had two children, experienced the highs and lows of marriages, and let me tell you something, there's no one else I would be wanting to do that with than my wife. She is phenomenal. And, you know, we have learned so much about one another in this journey called marriage. And in fact, early on, we were learning some things about each other. For instance, my wife learned that I have the memory of a cheese grater. No, I'm serious. Like, literally, she would tell me something, and I would forget it. And we saw this played out over and over again when I'd have to go to the grocery store. Early on in our marriage, my wife would tell me, all right, I need you to go to the store and get me a couple things. And I said, absolutely, honey, I got it. I would get to the store, and I would completely forget everything I was supposed to get on my list. And, and I'm like, oh, no, what do I do? And I would just fake it. So I'd go and grab a bunch of things. I'd get these two grocery bags. I'd come home. and like, look, honey, look at all the things I got. And she'd look at it and go, honey, none of this stuff is edible. How did you go to the grocery store and not even get food? And number two, uh, I asked you to get bread, and you bring this Lord of the Rings DVD? Like, what is going on with that? And, and I, you know, of course, I totally blame shifted and was like defensive. I said, obviously, this is not my fault because, you know, you know, I have the brain of a cheese grater. So you need to give me a list. Yeah, you give me a list. I got this. Not a problem. And so she's like, all right, fine. I'll give you a list. And so she gets me this list. And we do this thing at our house called Taco Tuesday, you know, Taco Tuesday at the Thompson's, right? So we're excited about this. And so I get this list. I'm at the store and I'm like getting everything on the list. I'm crossing it out. I'm like, I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm killing this. There's no way I'm going to get this wrong. There's no way that this is going to go, go bad. And so I get there, and I say, here's all this stuff. I get everything on the list. Things, this is great. And she looks through it all and goes, honey, where are the tacos? I go, what, what, what do you mean? You know, the tacos for Taco Tuesday. Like, where are they? And I'm like, oh, are they on the list? Well, of course they're on the list. But even if they're not on the list... Taco Tuesday, right? I mean, you have a master's degree. You'd think you'd be able to figure that one out. <laughs> and, and, and at first, I'm thinking, okay, she's being kind of critical, so I would get defensive, and then I'd get sarcastic. And I, and I think I said something along the lines of, well, listen, if you think you can do a better job, why don't you go and get the tacos? Why don't you go and get the stuff? 
And then she goes, how dare you? You know, I stay here at the house, and I help with the kids, and I take care of them, and I cook dinner, and I'm doing all this stuff. I just, have, I just need your help to get the tacos. And then it was on. You know what I'm talking about? Like, we are yelling at each other, and we're mad, we're hurt, we're misunderstanding one another. Doors are slamming, and pretty soon we are not speaking to each other on Taco Tuesday at the Thompsons. But you know, words are like that, aren't they? You think if you, you know, you think if you make a, a couple comments here and there, it's okay, but, but pretty soon it can get out of control. It can almost become like a wildfire. In fact, in Proverbs 16, 27, it says this, a scoundrel plots evil, and his speech is like a, say this with me in bold, scorching fire, scorching fire. So the idea is this, is our words can actually be so damaging to people that they can actually burn them rather than bless them. In fact, if you're ever in a situation where you trip over your partner's shoes in the living room and you're like, hey, I can't believe you left your shoes here. Could you please move them? And then all of a sudden you go, how dare you? Get off my back. I've had a rough day. My shoes are fine. And pretty soon what, what ended up being an innocuous comment ends up burning. And you're using words that are burning one another and hurting one another. And pretty soon you are causing all sorts of damage into your relationships whether it's with your siblings or your spouse or your coworkers, careless words, reckless words have that habit of, of just causing all sorts of chaos in people's lives. In fact, we see this in our families, don't we? How many of you have been in family situations where you know people in your family that have not spoken to each other for decades? And they don't even know why. They just, they just had this falling out over some words that were spoken, and they haven't spoken to each other. And so every time it's Christmas or Thanksgiving, it's super tense, and you're hoping no one throws fuel on this fire because it's going to cause all sorts of havoc. And that's the truth, isn't it? In fact, early on in our marriage, Jackie and I found that we would always say things, and, and maybe we didn't say them wisely enough, and we would hurt one another. It would actually be quite damaging in our relationships, whether it was over how you squeeze the toothpaste or something ridiculous along those lines. Which is why the book of Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom, is going to help us navigate some of those relationships in our lives with coworkers, family members, uh, partners, whoever it may be, because there's these guidelines that will help us go through that. You know, the other day, I was reading a book by Dr. John Gottman called The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. Now, even if you're not married, great book in terms of how do you navigate relationships, because for over 40 years, Dr. Gottman was a professor at the University of Washington, and he'd watch people in relationships navigate conflict, and, and for couples specifically, he knew who would stick together and who would split, all based on the type of words they used towards one another. The ones that used gentle and kind words normally stuck together, usually the ones using wise words, while those who were using foolish words would often end up splitting. In fact, he put these foolish words into these four categories that he calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yes, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And you're probably wondering, you know, is this like from TV or the movies? It's actually from the Bible, uh, and, a, and a great Metallica song, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. But really, when you, know, when you see those horsemen are, horsemen are riding in your relationship, you know that the end of days is near. And he gives four categories of the type of words that you should be watching out for in your relationships. The first category is criticism. Criticism. Whoever is in a relationship and they're criticizing one another, it, it can be quite drastic. In fact, you know, in, in the context of marriage, uh, maybe you've experienced this. You come down the stairs, you see a bunch of unfolded laundry, and you're thinking, Honey, I asked you to fold the laundry. Why is it, it not folded? And the other person responds critically, saying, You know, get off my back. You know, I, 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 you know, I just didn't have time to fold the laundry. You know, or, or, you know, they criticize. And rather than saying a complaint, they criticize and say, You know, you know what? Uh, you know, you never fold in the laundry. You never help out with this stuff. You know, and it's always such a pain. You're so unreliable. You see, there's a difference between a complaint and a criticism. The complaint is, 
oh, you didn't fold the laundry. The criticism is you always, and, or you always never fold laundry. You're never reliable. You universalize and globalize something. That is what counts as a criticism. That's the first horseman. You know, er, and the second horseman is contempt. Contempt is, is when you address your friend or your coworker with either sarcasm or disgust. You know, you have, you, you have friends coming over. They're supposed to bring different things. Like one friend's supposed to bring the dip for a party, and they didn't bring the dip. And you're like, oh, of course. They always forget to bring stuff. They're never reliable, right? That's contempt. And, and oftentimes, we, we use sarcasm or, or humor to kind of mask contempt, but often it can be really hurtful. In fact, uh, in fact, there's a great proverb that describes this. It's in Proverbs 26, 18 to 19. It says this, Like a madman shooting, say this with me, firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking, so you know, even though I burned you and I hurt you, it was just a joke, right? We're having a good time, right? I'm just messing around. You see, I get it. it's New Jersey. We use sarcasm. In fact, my wife and I joke that sarcasm is kind of like our love language, right? But, you know, doesn't sarcasm hit a point where it kind of gets old? Like this tipping point where it's like no longer, it's no longer funny and bantering, but actually gets hurtful. It starts to cut into people. And, and that's kind of what contempt does. It cuts into us. And rather than saying that you made a mistake, contempt is really saying you are the mistake. That's the second horseman. The third horseman is defensiveness. Defensiveness. What? You talking to me? It's not my fault. It's, it's your fault. In fact, that's how defensiveness works. It's all about blame shifting. You ever been in this situation where, hey, I thought I asked you to go uh, mail this letter. Well, I would have mailed this letter if you had deposited the money in the account. Well, I did deposit the money in the account. Why didn't, why didn't you ask me? Well, I would have asked you, but I was expecting, on and on and on the argument goes. Why? Because there's a shifting of blame. No one's willing to take responsibility for their part in it. You know, I actually see this a lot with teenagers, right? Where, you know, you get the data bill for the month, and you're like, well, where? Why is this so high? And you go to talk to your son and your daughter, and, and you're like, well, you know what? you got to stop watching so much YouTube and, and Snapchatting. But they respond, you know what, Dad? If we had a better data plan, then this would not be the problem, right? So all of a sudden, it's your problem, not their problem for running up the data bill. So that's, that's the idea of defensiveness. We're blame shifting. It's never our fault. And the final horseman is stonewalling. Stonewalling. And now in a relationship context, a stonewalling is one person is actually trying to communicate whether it's a, a complaint or there's some other issue, and the other partner is simply folding their arms and is checking out of the conversation completely. And they just, don't, they just don't want to engage. And sometimes they just mentally walk away or they physically will walk away. Now, the problem with stonewalling is usually it's about 85% men who stonewall. So men will often start disengaging in the conversation. They'll shut down and stop talking but often their wives or their, their partner will start getting louder and talk louder and faster and trying to get a response. And then pretty soon they don't get a response and it's just frustrating. And those men that are stonewalled, if you're a stonewaller, this proverb probably fits really well with, in those contexts. It says this. Better to live on the corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Now, guys, listen to me. This is not a life verse for you. This is not something you should memorize or go home and say, hey, you know, the pastor told me that I should not talk to you, or when things get bad, I should hide on the roof. That's not what it's saying at all. It's actually describing something that often happens when, when men are, or, or anyone stonewalls. We try to get away from the situation. So rather than deal head-on with the conflict, we'll either hide on a roof or we go into our man cave because we just don't want to deal with it. Does this, re does this resonate with any of you? Are any of you thinking, oh my gosh, I I've ridden on one of these horses, or I've ridden on all of these horses, and, and, and whether it's criticism or contempt or defensiveness or stonewalling, whenever these things are regular visitors in our relationships, they're going to cause all sorts of chaos. 
These communication killers can actually cause so much division if we're not careful and if we're not aware. Because the truth of the matter is we don't have to be taught how to fight dirty. We don't have to be taught how to use foolish words. Rather, we need to learn how to use better words that will build bridges to the people in our lives. Bridges of belonging, of communication, of honesty, of transparency. And that's why the idea that we're going to look at today is this. When words are wise, healing will arise. Did you say this with me? When words are wise, healing will arise. Because, when see, wise words are words that are not cutting. Wise words are words that will build up, that, that will give us insight and understanding into what's going on in, in the lives of the people around us or in the situations and the circumstances that we have to deal with. Wise words are gentle and they're kind. And wise words ultimately will get us further to where we need to be in our relationships. Again, whether it's with our coworkers or our, our spouses or our kids. In fact, when, when words are wise, we, we find healing, but foolish words bring about harm. Uh, wise words bring understanding, while, while foolish words actually show ignorance. Wise words start at humility. Foolish words begin with arrogance. Wise words are actually tools of creation, while foolish words are actually weapons of destruction. And see, in, in all these relationships, we all have weird things that we may fight over, we may disagree, but we have a choice how we're going to respond to them. Did you know what the number one thing couples fight over? It's probably not what you think. You're probably thinking, oh, they fight over maybe it's money or it's household responsibilities or maybe it's even sex. Actually, the number one thing that couples fight over is nothing. It's nothing. It's all the little details that sometimes get us frustrated and that kind of can slowly kind of heat up and turn into an explosion. Those are, that's how it usually works. And we have a choice with the type of words that we use. Will we use our words to be a blessing or will we use them to burn? The Proverbs outlines four actions we can take to make our words more of a blessing than a burning. And the first uh, action that we see is to curb your criticism. To curb your criticism. Not your enthusiasm, but your criticism. See, the thing is, you are always going to have complaints about your spouse. In fact, it's important that you do. That's how you can grow and help one another get better. But when our complaints become criticism, that's really when it gets dangerous. That's really when we can do all sorts of damage. You see, criticism is when you start attacking the character of your spouse or, or, the, or the person you're in a relationship with rather than the issue or rather than the behavior that you disagree with. In Proverbs 12, 18, it says this, Reckless words pierce like a what? A sword. But the tongue of the wise brings what? Healing. Our words have the ability to cut people down or build people up. In fact, oftentimes, you know, many of us, we are really good with our words, right? Like, we know exactly what to say and how to say it and to do it in, in ways where literally we, we can win the argument all the time. And so whether we get into an argument with our partner where literally we cut them up into ribbons and they come to us to, to, to confront us and we and we've cut them down to the point where they're apologizing— or, or it's a coworker that we've stabbed in the back and we twist the knife a little bit. Or maybe with our kids, we cut the legs underneath them with our words. Our words have the power to be cutting. You see, in the ancient world, the sword is a weapon of mass destruction. And with this weapon, we can cause all sorts of chaos and pain in the lives of those closest to us. So we have a choice. We can either use the sword and pick it up and use these words that will cut and kill, or we can sheath our sword Put it away and use what Proverbs 15.1 says. And that's this. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Have you ever used, been in a situation like this? 
where you've had someone literally pour wrath on you and rage and anger and all sorts of things. I, I remember years ago, I once had a boss who, uh, he called me into his office for, for whatever reason. I think I was late for a meeting or, or uh, late for my opening shift, whatever it was. And, and I go in, and, and he just starts re, you know, reaming me out. He is yelling at me and saying, I can't believe you were late. On, you know, and he's going out. And this is the kind of anger where the nostrils are flaring, the spit is coming out of the mouth, huge vein coming out of the neck, and you're just like, whoa, what do I do? And he's going off saying, you know, I can't believe you were late for this meeting, and, and it was so, a sign of disrespect for me. You showed everyone else that, that we, you know, we don't have our act together. How could you? You don't care about this project. You don't care about this organization. What's wrong? He's giving me one reason why I shouldn't fire you, and he is going on. And as he's going on, there is a fire burning in my heart right now. There is a rage that is simmering, and I'm trying deep down inside. You know, all these things are coming to my mind. I'm going, maybe I'd have more respect for you if you weren't such a, a rageaholic. Maybe I would have more respect for you if, if, you know, you could just come and go as you please because you own the place, you're the boss. And on and on, all these ideas are coming to me, and I'm getting more and more angry. At the same time, I'm saying, Jesus, I, I want to model you well. I want to represent you well. Can you give me the right words? And, and as this exchange is going on, within mere seconds in my mind, finally, it's my turn to speak, and I say, thank you so much for, for, for sharing that with me. I appreciate your honesty, and it was not my heart to disrespect you. I apologize for that. I will never be late again, and thank you for helping me be a better team player. And you can tell the fire in his eyes began to, to, to go down, and it was almost like all the ammunition that he had been building up to shoot at me, he had to finally put his guns away. And his response was amazing. He was like, well, Okay, great, great. Um, I'll, I'll see you, la I'll see you later, the, later in the day. And at that moment, I just realized, you know what? Gentle answers have the power to literally reframe conversations. I went from the one being attacked to the one uh, having the power in that relationship. It was like a judo move, right? And later on, he came and he apologized. We had a great conversation after that. But one of the things I learned is, is not really empowering up that we have power, but literally in, in kind of coming to a place where we can use words that are wise. Wise words can bring healing. Wise words can literally change the tone of a conversation in your favor. And that's the first action that Proverbs outlines for us. The second one is to kill contempt, not each other. Kill contempt, not each other. Proverbs 18.3 says this, When wickedness comes, so does, say this with me, contempt, and with shame comes disgrace. Now again, what is contempt? Contempt is when you, you look down on, on your friends. You're like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm way better than these guys. They're lucky that they're, I'm in their life. You know, contempt basically is when you roll your eyes at your boyfriend or your girlfriend because they made another stupid comment or another dumb reference, right? It's literally the sulfuric acid of relationships, making it harder to, to, um, to build bridges of, of care and connection. That's how dangerous contempt can be. And, and what's pro the problem is, is when these things aren't resolved and they keep asserting themselves over and over again, it can really cause some damage. In fact, it can, has a way of heating up. In fact, it says in Proverbs 15, 18, it says this, A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. When we have a hot temper and we have contempt for someone, we just start heating it up again. We start throwing fire on everything. It can cause all sorts of damage to the people that are closest to us. And you ever see this with maybe your kids? You have a, an altercation with your kids or your teenagers, and they just, they just stomp away, and, and they pretty much go to their room, and they slam the door, and they say, I hate you. You're the worst parent in the world. And you're just going, that makes me so angry, right? 
but why is it that make, what is it that makes us so mad? What is it that irks us so much? You know what it is? It's because it's personal. They're not mad about a a rule you made or the curfew. They're actually attacking you as a person. Your personhood's at at stake. And in that moment, we we have a chance as as parents to either react or or have a peaceful response. And oftentimes, and, and I've done this, we react and say, well, excuse me, what is wrong with you? How could you do that? And we speak these harsh words to our kids, and often what we mean to say is, I don't like the way you've acted. I don't like how you've responded. But when we use words like, what is wrong with you? You know what we've just communicated to our son or our daughter? You're defective. The problem is you. See, if we can just pause and realize that, you know, even though we're parents and, and we have to take a lot of the heat and the venom, really, God has called you and I to be peacemakers, to be peacemakers with our kids and to help them understand some of those things. And when we do that, what we do is we start to diffuse the contempt and we start to teach them how to use words that are wise. Or maybe you've had a, a conversation or you've had a discussion with some friends and it starts to get heated, right? And then all of a sudden, you start pulling up stuff that happened years ago. You look at stuff in the past and you start digging up stuff and stuff that was thought was, was forgiven or forgotten, it gets really, really personal, right? You've been in those conversations. Well, you know what? You said you've changed because of what happened five years ago, but you're doing it again. Clearly, you haven't changed. Clearly, you don't care. And it can get really, really hurtful at that moment. It reminds me of this Proverbs in 17, verse 9. It says this, He who covers over an offense promotes love. Meaning this, when you leave something in the past and say, we are never going to bring this up again, what we're saying is we're going to move forward in love. But if you keep bringing it back up, you know what happens? But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. See, the danger of bringing up the past, especially after it's been forgiven, after it's been dealt with, after it's been buried, the danger of bringing up the past again, what that ends up doing is starts breaking down trust. It breaks down connection. It breaks down bridges of belonging. And pretty soon, the people that we want to trust and have a close relationship with, they feel far away because they feel like you're keeping score. They feel like everything that they say or do is under your watchful eye because you're going to remember everything. And then later on, at the convenient time, you're going to pull it back up and get them with it. So if you want some help in terms of how to kind of neutralize contempt in your relationships, I want to give you a couple things to look at. One is to never say never. Never say never, because never and always is never true. When you use words like, you, al- you never take out the garbage, or you always belittle me, or you never hang out with our kids, or you are always blowing me off, that's not true. Because what happens is we're actually attacking the character of the person rather than the issue, rather than the behavior. Let's make, let's make sure we focus on the actual behavior or the actual situation and not go global. The second thing is to never get historical, to never get historical. Now, some people, when they get into a conflict situation or a disagreement with a friend of theirs or, or it's their partner, they get what we call hysterical. You know, they're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you did this. Ah! You know, they, they just get, get, get crazy and loud. But historical is actually when you start digging up the past and bringing it back up. And I'll be honest, in our relationship, I'm probably the one that is guilty of this, and I need to work on this big time. You know, whether it's something like my wife says, hey, honey, can you do the dishes tonight? And I'll say something like, well, technically I did the dishes the past three nights, and then when you, and then, and then you did them the night before that, but then I did them again, then my parents came over, and oh, dish guy right here. So technically I've done the dishes more than you have this week, therefore you need to go do the dishes. Now, how do you think that makes my wife feel? Clearly not valued. 
And, and that does more damage in our relationship because I'm keeping track, I'm keeping score of what we've done or not done in the past. And when we leave something behind or we forgive someone and we, we say we're going to kind of leave that behind, we need to forgive the way Jesus forgives. How does Jesus forgive? The scriptures tell us that he, he separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. He takes our sin and he drops them in the Marianas Trench, the deepest point in the entire earth, so it's lost forever. In fact, the disciples asked him, so Jesus, how often do we need to forgive people, right? So, and they're thinking, oh, we'll tell them 70 times 7. And Jesus says, yes, and more so. Because in relationships, there's an ongoing rhythm of repentance, forgiveness, repentance, forgiveness. We always forgive. We always release because that's how it works in relationships. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is one of the passages that everyone reads in marriage. Many of you, this was at your wedding. You said this, love keeps no account of wrong. And so we need to rip up our scorecards. Those of us that keep score, take your scorecard out. Like here, awesome. I see your scorecards. Rip them. Rip them. And as we rip these scorecards up, it gives us the opportunity to be uh, at war with the things that are really separating our relationships. Whether it's in your, in your uh, marriage or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your coworkers, whatever it may be, we need to come at the things that are trying to bring us apart, whether it's criticism or contempt. I love this quote by Francis Chan where he says this, being in war together may be what keeps us from being at war with each other. You see, when we realize that our partners are our allies, not our enemies, our coworkers are our allies, not our enemies, we're able to go further, faster, because we're not fighting one another, but we're fighting the things that are trying to get in between of us. Which is why, when we talk about dropping our defenses, this really goes after this horseman. This really goes after this issue, not the people. Now listen, there are types of criticism that actually are really good. It's what I call constructive criticism. In fact, uh, you know, we need that on a regular basis. You know, my wife and I, when we were early, first married, uh, we were going to a wedding together. And so I came down the stairs, and my typical, you know, this is what I wear to when I go to weddings. I had my, my ripped-up jeans. I had my T-shirt on. I had my leather jacket. And, I'm, and I, you know, because I like to keep it classy, right? So I'm ready to rock on, ready to go to the wedding. And so I, I come down the stairs. I'm ready to go. And my wife looks at me and goes, what, what do you think you're doing? I go, well, I'm ready to go for the wedding. I go, and she goes to me, uh, not like that. I, I go, what are you, my mother? Come on, people, people expect me to go to weddings like this. You know, they, this, is what, this is what I do. And she goes, listen, not if you go with me, okay? I don't know who you think you're going to go with at this wedding, but you're not going go to go to that wedding dressed like a vagabond. So I went up the stairs, and, and I put on my, you know, nicer clothes. I even found a tie, and, and, I, and I go to this wedding, and people are kind of staring at me. You know, during the reception, I'm like, what is going on? And, and someone comes up to me and goes, Nathan, I just want to tell you, I really appreciate you dressing like a grown-up, right? Because every time you go to a wedding, you always, like, you know, are this immature little kid. So thank you for finally growing up. And at that point, I realized I need to talk to my wife about my wardrobe decisions from this moment forward. And that has, ha that has worked out for me all the most. Because the thing about, uh, about wisdom is that wisdom listens. Proverbs 15.1 says this, He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. See, the reward for, for, for dropping our, our defenses, the reward is that we actually can grow and become wise. We can actually develop and become the people that God has made us to be when we're open to, to criticism and we make changes and we're open to feedback. In fact, we actually find that we have a higher quality of life because, of, uh, because we're open. In fact, I, I had a great example of this when I was uh, living in Boston years ago. I was working in this office. And one of my coworkers uh, said, hey, Nathan, let's go get some coffee. And I said, oh, yeah, I'd love to get some coffee. So we get some coffee, we sit down, we're having coffee, and we're having a great time, and he goes, Nathan, I really need to talk to you about something. 
Um, the way you've been treating your coworker, Kelly, I just think it's a little disrespectful. You're kind of mean, and, and I really think you might want to rethink maybe how you talk to her. And I'm just thinking, come on, you, you gotta, you're, you're crazy. You know, I'm sarcastic, and I mess around. You know, she gets that. It's not a big deal. It's no problem. Well, I mean, I feel like every time you talk to her, she tunes you out. Like, she's not taking you seriously anymore. I said, huh, all right. I appreciate the feedback. So I went back and I talked with my coworker, and um, we worked it out. And I, at that moment, I, I, really, I didn't realize how I had actually been hurtful to her. You know, it's in moments like that when you had someone come to, come to you and, and really confront you that really can be life-changing. In fact, I'm so grateful for that coworker. I'm so grateful that they had the courage to speak into my life, even though they knew I'd probably be defensive and I wouldn't receive it at first. But I tell you, it has changed the way I, I, I relate to people, whether it's coworkers or my wife. I realize that, you know what, I might need to tone down my sarcasm and really listen better. And it reminds me of this proverb that's really incredible in 27 verse 6. It says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Meaning this, you know what? Our enemies, people that say to our faces how much they appreciate us and how much they like us, oftentimes they'll voice their criticism of us behind our back. And so they'll stab us in the back and they'll cut us up and we won't even know where it's coming from. But a true friend will look you in the eye and they'll speak some harsh, maybe critical words and it'll sting. But it's going to be like the cut of a surgeon. See, a surgeon, they, they, they really aren't, they're, they're going to hurt you, but they're not going to harm you because eventually it's going to be a redemptive wound. And wounds from a friend can be trusted because it's going to be redemptive. It is going to bring life. It is going to bring healing. It is going to bring hope. It is going to bring wise words. Because when words are wise, healing will arise. And this brings us to the last horseman. And that's to stop stonewalling. We're going to stop stonewalling. Now, stonewalling usually happens when we feel like we're under attack, right? We feel like we're under attack, and, it can be, and we, just, we just shut down. We stop talking. We stop engaging. And we kind of look around, we, we, we try to just get out of the situation. And, you know, oftentimes there's all sorts of reasons why we stonewall. Sometimes we stonewall because we've got so much emotion, we're flooded with emotion, we just don't know how to respond. I know that, that that's what happens to me. Uh, sometimes we, we just simply want to avoid conflict, and we know if we open our mouths, we're going to get in trouble, it's going to get louder, it's going to get crazier. Or we sometimes stonewall because we want to punish our partner. We think if we give them the silent treatment, that'll show them. I'm just going to not engage, I'm just, that's it. That's it. But you know what happens when we stonewall? You know what that really communicates? That communicates that I don't care about you. I, I'm not even fighting for you. I don't care about you or anything, so I'm just going to walk away from this completely. And that may be completely what you're not trying to communicate. That may be completely false, but yet by you stonewalling, that is what you create in the midst of that situation. So while you're internally processing, your partner's wondering, what is going on? Why do they hate me? Why are they so angry with me? You know, there's two kind of processors in the, in the world. There's what I call the verbal processor, and then there's the internal processor. See, the verbal processor, and this is myself and Pastor Tim, we, we, we don't know what we're thinking until it comes out of our mouths. So literally, we are thinking as we're talking, and, and, and sometimes our, our mouths move faster than our brains, and pretty soon we're just talking faster and faster and faster, trying to get things out, and pretty soon, you know, that, that's kind of how we think, right? While the internal processor is a little bit more quiet. The internal processor is more like, hmm, let me think about that. Can I sleep on that and, and really kind of process that out a little bit? And so, you know, that's kind of how the internal processor works. And you know what happens when an, 
verbal processor and an internal processor come together, they get married. And then it is explosive, right? Because what happens is the verbal processor wants to talk about the problem or the issue right away, while the internal processor wants to get away so they can think about it. So the verbal processor thinks, oh, maybe if I talk louder and faster, that's going to make things work better. And, so I'm gonna think the same, and they start talking faster, 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 while the internal processor just wants to run away. Now, if you're an internal processor and you know you're prone to stonewall, there is a couple things you can do to kind of get out of that situation. You can actually tell the person, hey, listen, I need some space right now. I hear what you're saying, and I appreciate it, but I really need to process that. I really need to think that through. Can you give me some time to do that? Or maybe you simply say this, I am so angry right now. I am so upset. I just need to take a walk. I need to pray about this because I can't address this right now. Because what you're doing is, if you know you're prone to stonewalling, you need to communicate that with your, with your partner. You need to let them know. You need to let your coworker know, hey, I haven't forgotten about what we talked about. I'm just thinking about it and, and, and processing it. Or your, or your partner or your kids, whatever it may be, you need to communicate that because they are not mind readers yet. And when you communicate that, you are communicating, I care about what you say. Thank you so much for sharing that. And that's important. In fact, maybe if you're a stonewaller, this is the verse that connects to you the most. The purpose in a man's heart is like what? Deep water. But a man of understanding will what? Draw it out. Draw it out. If you see your partner starting to stonewall, they're starting to shut down, you can simply say, hey, I see you're starting to shut down. Can you tell me what's going on right now? Tell me, tell me what you're processing. Because that is the power to, to draw those things out. Another thing that this verse talks about is that there are actually men and women who are gifted in this thing of understanding, at drawing out deep waters. We call them uh, professional therapists or counselors. And let me tell you, these people are incredible. In fact, for a couple years ago, uh, I was seeing a counselor for, for this very issue. I had this hard time of kind of identifying what my emotions were, and, I, and I'd get into this conflict situation, I wouldn't know what to tell my wife, and she'd get frustrated, I'd get frustrated. So when I started seeing a counselor, I actually started to get an entire, uh, an entire verb, uh, words to describe the things that I was feeling. I was able to describe sadness, depression, anger, and frustration, uh, uh, fear, and anxiety. I was able to kind of start kind of uh, using more nuanced words to describe what I was feeling, and when I was able to do that, I was able to communicate uh, more clearly, and it really made a huge difference in the relationships I was in, both in my married life, but also in my coworkers' lives, and in my friendships. So I want to encourage you, if you know that you need that deep water brought up to the surface, if you need help articulating, you need a language to describe the things that you're feeling, if you go to their Next Steps booth, they actually have a list of our counselors that we have here at Liquid, or at least the ones that we recommend. All of them are, are Christ-centered and Bible-based, so I want to encourage you to go and check them out if you need to start kind of sifting through some of this stuff. So the choice is yours. Do you want your words to be burning? Or a blessing. So what do we do? How do we begin this process? Well, the first thing is, we need to turn off the blowtorch. Got to stop using it. And we got to put our swords away. Some of you have got the gift of the gab. Put away your weapons. And let's all of us collectively turn to wisdom himself. If you've been doing the 31-day Proverbs challenge, you've probably gotten to chapter 8 already. And chapter 8 really talks about who wisdom is. It says this in Proverbs 8. I was appointed from eternity, say this with me in bold, from the beginning, before the world began. Proverbs 8, 23. You know what this is a reference to? Who was there from the beginning? It was Jesus. 
this verse is actually talking about Jesus. Jesus is wisdom personified. He is all gentleness and kindness and insight and, and wisdom and knowledge. All of those things exist in Jesus, God's one and only Son. And so if we want wisdom, we need to lean on Jesus. If we want wisdom, we need to pursue him because he is our true and only source of wisdom. So if you're here this morning and you're thinking, man, I, I want that. I know the Spirit of God is speaking to me right now, and I know I need, I need wisdom. I know I need to grow in this area. Uh, what do I do? I want to give you one practical step, one thing you can do today or tomorrow to begin this journey. And it begins with this question. What's it like to be on the other side of me? What's it like to be on the other side of me? How have my words helped you? How have my words harmed you? How, have my, how has my lack of words, maybe something I should have said, how has that made an impact on you? And then simply ask them to speak and say, listen, I have no agenda here but to grow in wisdom, and I'm only going to grow in wisdom if I listen to you. Would you please just tell me? And maybe they need a day or a couple hours to process that and you revisit it, or maybe they're going to be able to tell you right away. But in that moment, ask Jesus this question. Jesus, would you come into this situation? Would you help me grow in wisdom? Would you help me embrace uh, wise words that will bring healing and creation and life rather than words that will bring death and pain and destruction? And maybe for some of you, you've realized that your words have burned more than blessed. And so you might need to use the two hardest words in the English language, which is really, I'm sorry. And you have to apologize for, for cutting words like sarcasm. Maybe you need to realize that you need to tone that down a little bit. And if that's you, what an amazing opportunity to lean into wisdom into Jesus himself. But I know for some of you, you've been on the other side of the blowtorch. You've been burnt. You've been hurt. And words have actually cut you up and destroyed you. I just want to say to you right now that the words that Jesus speaks to you are words of healing, of life. In fact, Jesus says that, that he has plans for your life to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope, to give you a future. Let his words heal the brokenness, the pain that maybe you're experiencing in the moment. I want to pray for us that we would start using wise words because when words are wise, healing will arise. I know some of you here need healing, but let's embrace words that are wise. Let's pray. Spirit of God, I just ask you to come right now. I ask you to bless those that are listening right now throughout the campuses here in Morristown. I just pray that your spirit would right now come upon them, bless them. Father, if there have been words that have spoken over them of condemnation and damnation, I pray that you would speak a new word upon them, a word of life, of hope. And Father, I pray, Lord, that if there are some here that have been using words as a way to, to hurt others, to crush others, I just pray, God, that you would convict them. May they start to use different words, use wise words. I just pray, Father, that we would leave here changed because we've been in the presence of a mighty living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com. 
or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.